Hello and welcome to the Thriving Abroad Together podcast series and episode four in this new series. It's so great that you have joined us today. My name's Louise Wiles, host of the Thriving Abroad podcast and an expat coach and consultant. I created this current series to support expats around the world who are facing these extraordinary times as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this current Thriving Abroad Together podcast series, I speak to a range of professionals who work to support expats and their families in a variety of ways around the world. You can learn more about the other episodes in this podcast series by going to the thrivingabroad.com website where you can sign up for the podcast newsletter and also download the show notes for this episode. Also, why not come and join the Thriving Abroad Together Facebook group where we'll continue the conversations, share additional resources and offer each other support and encouragement. So on to the subject of today's podcast. Like many people around the world, I'm zooming my way through each day. Now, this is not unusual for me, as many of my business activities are online. But add in the extra connecting for socialising and exercising. Yep, my personal training has gone online too. At the end of the day, I can usually be found in a darkened corner, zoomed out. Without this kind of virtual connection, social relationships and businesses would suffer. And it has been hugely important in keeping us all connected and working whilst physically distancing. We've moved to a near virtual world in one big leap. But are we using this amazing medium effectively? Having coached, run workshops and held business meetings online for years, I know there is a skill to leading online groups. It's not one that appears overnight. We have to work at it, think carefully about how we manage events and interactions and along the way there are many potential pitfalls. For example, Dr. Penny Pullen, author of Virtual Leadership, Practical Strategies for Getting the Best Out of Virtual Work and Virtual Teams, says, with virtual work, everything can seem to be fine. Then all of a sudden, there is out and out disaster. And you can spot it because conflict isn't always visible. And it's quite easy for conflict to simmer under the surface without people realising that it's there. Just as we need to lead and manage teams effectively in face-to-face encounters and meetings, we need to be thinking beyond the technological challenges when leading teams online. In this podcast episode, Penny provides a wealth of tips for leading virtually. It's a replay of a conversation we had two years ago, but just as, if not more, relevant today. We talk about why thinking about the employee experience is so important in managing virtual relationships and creating positive outcomes from virtual events. The challenges many people face when working and leading virtually. How to run virtual projects and get the best from your team. The type of leadership that works best when running virtual teams and projects. The importance of building and nurturing trust and how you can do that and why you need to pay attention to how language is used when working with international teams, and the importance of thinking about local culture and how that may influence how people relate and respond to tasks and deadlines. And we finish with five tips people should have at the forefront of their mind when thinking about working virtually. 
I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye-bye for now. Hello, Penny. Hello. Nice to see you, Louise. Lovely to have you joining today. So today we're going to be unpacking the subject of virtual leadership and thinking about what happens when the employee experience goes virtual. Before we get stuck into the conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Penny. So Penny is a thought leader in the field of virtual leadership, specialising in complex change projects involving virtual teams. She's director of Making Projects Work, whose clients include multinational companies across many sectors, from drug companies to manufacturers, from IT companies to banks. She has run the Virtual Working Summit since 2010 with thousands of participants from all over the world. Penny is the author of Virtual Leadership, Practical Strategies for Getting the Best Out of Virtual Work and Virtual Teams, and has edited and co-authored books on leadership and risk management. So, great to have you with us today, Penny. I'm looking forward to great. this conversation on virtual leadership. Good to be here. Lovely. Well, let's start the conversation as we're talking about employee experience with perhaps your quick overview of what you feel the term employee experience means. It's not one I use all the time, but I, I was thinking about it and actually the experience of the people who are involved in a virtual team for me is absolutely crucial because Without a good experience, virtual team members tend to disengage and focus on other things. Most of us have multiple projects at any one time. And if the one that's virtual isn't really giving you a good experience, then actually I find that people tend to focus on the other ones, especially local projects where people can actually come over and talk to them and so on. So yeah, how people experience things is, is very important. And this can make a huge difference if you are virtual. Yeah, so it's engaging people in that virtual experience and keeping them engaged, one of the challenges. Absolutely, but also treating people as humans. And that's something that is so important now in the world that we're in with digital, artificial intelligence, all this stuff happening that can augment and add to what we can do as humans, not to forget the essential element that we are all human beings and to treat us as humans and to generate that human connection between individuals makes a huge difference in virtual teams. Yeah, yeah. And I think that touches very nicely on, on a sort of subject and the whole topic area in terms of global mobility where you know, we're striving for efficiency and to get people from A to B as quickly and efficiently as possible. Um, perhaps we can focus on that sort of tactical perspective of the process rather than the human touch. Yeah, but actually if you, do, if you do that and you forget the human element, so many things can happen, which means that a, a placement or a move to a different country can go horribly wrong, even though it's been done very efficiently. It's about the effectiveness overall that's important, isn't it? I'd say the same applies to, to virtual teams too. Yeah, no, I love that distinction. And 
for me, the relevance of, of this kind of conversation to global mobility and the whole experience is, is, is huge. I was thinking about you know, who it touches, who virtual leadership touches in the whole global mobility experience. And the answer, I think, is pretty much everyone. <laughs> um, you know, uh -huh. we're working across geographical um, borders, we're working um, you know, with multinational teams, we're working cross-culturally, um, and a lot of that is all done virtually. And so the scope for complexity is increased. Um, and it's really important that as employees, as um, global mobility professionals, we really think about how we're managing those virtual relationships um, mm. really relevant. and I think also for the expats you know they are relocating from one location to another and suddenly they are changing their lives the place in which they are living and working um, but their connections often are maintained virtually and I and, you know, I think about this from my perspective when I first relocated ooh, you know a long time ago actually the internet had just become <laughs> a thing <laughs> so that dates me but that's how long yeah. ago. And you know, internet didn't exist. I didn't communicate online with my family. Um, but when I left my last, the last place we were living, um, you know, it was such a big part in my life and my children's lives. It's where they, how they connected, mm. and we could retain and develop relationships back home, both professionally and personally, and all over the world. And I guess this is this example of that, actually. <laughs> Absolutely. And I suppose as well that virtual allows a lot of people who maybe wouldn't have been the sort of people who would have had that sort of um, over, overseas placement to, to work internationally and to develop their skills and perhaps to, to show a flair for working in this way. Brilliant, yes. And a fantastic way of training people and preparing people for international moves because it gets them yes, to absolutely. culturally from their home base. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of... Sort of insight there into why it matters um, and why we should be paying attention to virtual leadership. So let's get stuck into some of the challenges that people face when they're working virtually. <laughs> okay, well, there, there are quite a few challenges. There are lots of things that are, are similar to face-to-face -face work, obviously, um, but there's some things that are particularly tricky. So, um, for example, just imagine if you're on a call with lots of people. And somebody says, oh, I'll take that action. In a meeting room, you would see who'd put their hand up. But on a conference call with 30 people or so, you might recognize the voice. But again, you might not. So who's volunteered to do things? Cultural differences also can get in the way and they're not as obvious. So, for example, um, you know, if somebody says they'll do something by a particular time, they might or might not mean it, and it might depend on how you've asked them. Something I find a lot with virtual sessions, virtual meetings, is that people say, oh, could you just repeat the question, please? <laughs> and everybody's normally very polite and lets, lets people, let people get away with it. But that generally tends to mean that people have, you know, they've just drifted away, and they've only just come back in when they've heard someone say their name. Uh-huh. So they've missed out yeah. on the important content of the meeting. Yeah, so they probably haven't taken in the last 10 minutes or so. Mm. Um, yeah, do you know who are on your calls? The other thing that happens with virtual work is that everything seems to be fine, then all of a sudden there's out-and-out -out disaster. 
and you couldn't spot it because conflict isn't always visible. In fact, it isn't as visible virtually as it is when you're together in person. So it's quite easy for conflict to simmer underneath the surface without people really realizing that it's there and to develop far further than it would in a in a face-to-face, in-person environment. I suppose there are a few things, and I'm, I'm just having a peek at my book, Virtual Leadership, <laughs> just to remind me of some of the key things. It's very easy to be invisible if you're virtual. So I'm sure that anybody who is moving abroad um, will, will know that they need to um, maintain visibility in their sending country and also to people around the world. If you're virtual, um, it can be easy just to sort of be in the background and especially if you're often on um, conference calls and so on. Um, and if you're quiet and you don't have much to say, you can just be forgotten about. Yeah. Um, yeah, other thing, I suppose you have fewer chances to actually meet up those sort of water cooler moments, as I think the Americans tend to call them, where you bump into people and chat about things um, outside of work, which then improves the way that you work together because it builds trust, you get to know each other. You don't have those virtually unless you build in something like that. And the sort of things that you can build in are short sessions at the beginning of virtual meetings where people just catch up with where they are, what it's like, what the weather's like, what they can see out the window, what's happening um, in the office, um, any sort of local news or discussion or whatever. Um, yeah. And even setting aside times where you connect with your virtual colleagues. I know of people who meet up across Europe in via video conference for lunch and they're not <laughs> allowed to talk about work at all. They each bring their different lunches in and they have a conversation over a shared lunch despite the I fact that they're idea. in different offices all around Europe. I love that idea because I had just written down so one of the issues is how you develop that sort of connection you know, that real person-to-person connection. So that's one, mm. one way. So lunchtime, coffee time, let's talk about yeah. Yeah, other things other than that project. Yeah. The issue, of course, with that is that when you have wide time zones, so one of my clients um, has people in Paris and in UK, the UK, in London and Birmingham, and also in California, <laughs> is that you can't all meet for lunch. And that actually it tends to be, um, in California, people are dropping their kids off to school and driving into work during the com- conference call. And people in, in France are probably driving on their on their commute home during mm-hmm. the conference call. So, mm-hmm. you know, but where you can make moments um, where you can do things together that are not just purely around work, where you can connect and get to know each other. Yeah, and I guess linked to the sort of the time zone issue, I know of people I've worked with who um, are perhaps responsible for times you know across significantly different time zones, and so their yeah. working day. I mean, one person I can think of would start at five a.m. to make the connection to New York, and then you know yeah. at the other end of the day he'd be connecting with Asia. So it kind of meant that his work day was ridiculously long and actually yeah. became incredibly stressful. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, while in some cases it makes sense to shift your day, and I've certainly known of people, um, say, 
um, Ganesh, I think, is one of the examples in my book, who is in India, who shifted his time so that he worked from about lunchtime till um, into the evening, mm-hmm. um, so that he was at the same time to support his um, UK colleagues mm. um, who he was working with. And I thought, gosh, that's a big thing to ask. But I, I, when I spoke to Ganesh and found out what it was like, for him, it was great because he looked after his baby son in the mornings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then traveled to work with no rush hour traffic at all. And where he's based, the rush hour traffic certainly makes rush hour in London look look <laughs> like a you know completely clear clear as it could take hours to get to work. Whereas because he's out of the normal um, rush hour, he can get to work quickly and easily, do his work, and then come back. Yeah. So that sort of emphasizes one of the benefits, I guess, of virtual communication and virtual mm. working is that you can um, be very flexible or more flexible. Yeah. Than yeah. And I think it's important to to make this flexibility work for the individuals as well as for the companies, because where your your example, where the person's working day had grown and grown and grown till it was. To, to an extent which would really cause long-term damage. You're not going to be able to work from 5 a.m. till late at night every day for, um, you know, for your whole working life. Um, you know, that's damaging, whereas, whereas in Ganesh's case, actually for him, it worked out both for the company and for the employee, um, or should I say the offshore contractor. So what we need to do is to make sure that we can we know a little bit about each person we can work with individuals to find out what will be helpful for them yeah 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 really important so understanding the employee experience from, and their needs their individual needs i think yeah i agree um so one thing that as you're talking we're talking about virtual meetings and virtual mm. work i mean that's not the only way we work so no. once we've worked it all got together in a virtual meeting then often we have these virtual projects we have to manage so what are the challenges people face in that respect <laughs> the biggest one that leaders always come to me with is saying penny i can't see what they're doing i have no idea what they're doing i have no idea if they're doing any work or not how on earth can i work virtually i need to be able to look around and see what people are up to at which point, I, I need to say to people, the thing is, you see, the trouble is that you're measuring on what people are putting in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The time that they're sitting at their desk, as opposed to the outputs. For virtual working to work effectively, and for the leaders not to be thinking the whole time, oh, is someone at their desk, or are they being distracted, or are they doing something else, and I don't know. Move away from that and measure on outputs. And I think that's something that I'm sure is true, not just for virtual working, but also for, for people working, working without working virtually. Because what matters? Is it the time somebody sits at their desk or is it the outputs that they produce? And I'm sure that's a shift that is, is happening you know, across the board. But for virtual working, it makes so much more sense. And if you measure on outputs, then it doesn't matter what's happening at any particular moment. So you, as the leader of a group or a team working on a virtual project, 
you don't need to fret about what people are doing at any one moment because what matters is what the outputs are. Yeah. And so, yeah, I suppose that talks to this presenteeism um, <laughs> yeah, sense that mm. we know how many hours we're all working and we should be there between nine and five. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Focus on the outputs. So in terms yeah. of how are, how are you, if you're managing a project in a team, and you're monitoring outputs, how are you monitoring those outputs? Well, you need to agree and define what those outputs need to be with each person, of course. Um, you need to know what the outputs are. You also need to know what the quality is, how you're going to measure, I suppose people might call it acceptance criteria, but what are the outputs you're, that you're expecting? When are you expecting them? And how will you measure whether they're acceptable or not? If people know what these things are, then they can get on with it. So it's about what comes back at the end and that it's acceptable and it's up to the right standard of quality as opposed to what goes into it. The issue though with virtual work is that somebody might be struggling. Mm. And um, so people need to be able to flag things up that they're struggling. So as a, as a leader of a virtual team, I would suggest you want to check in with people and find out how you can help them to achieve what you've agreed. So I think for me, what I've noticed working across organizations very well is, is the sort of leadership that rather than command and control is much more around sort of facilitative leadership. And many of the ideas of servant leadership also, um, you know, very similar, but also support this way of working so really do things as far as possible to um, support people and and to help them to achieve what you both need them to achieve yeah yeah so giving them the opportunity to speak to you to ask questions and to tell yes. you how and checking in regularly um, having regular check-ins but that and the, the purpose of the check-ins isn't to find out what they're doing but it's to, to help support them as they move to producing these outputs yeah um, so I guess and always, sorry I was just going to say I guess it links into your leadership style and how you are would lead generally anyway um, and if it's about building trust and relationship with your team yeah. then yeah you, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and actually that's something you know trust is so important for virtual teams I even have a couple of books written just about that so perhaps it's worth spending a little bit of time to think about how you can build up that trust because trust builds slowly, but it can be destroyed in an instant. We yeah. know that's true however you're working. How can you build trust in virtual teams? Well, I was interviewing a professor who does research into this area and she was saying that they had been looking at um, different different teams virtual teams and measuring the trust between them and the ones that came out so much stronger in terms of trust than the others were the ones that used video conferencing oh. over just audio conferencing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah the ones that connected but didn't just do everything by email so so the, the ones that talked about things outside of work that had human connections Mm. it's cropping up again it's this whole thing about how can we be be truly human so connect with people even though we're using a very digital virtual environment to allow us to work in a way that 
as humans without this technology we couldn't but we still need to remember to to tap into those things that make us human yeah to be able to perform at our best yeah and I, i think there's quite a bit of research isn't there about what happens when people are actually you know looking at each other and in each other's presence um certainly you know and and the kind of what happens from a physiological and a neurological perspective. Um, I'm not an expert on any of those, but it does seem to make a big difference. Yeah, seeing somebody there does make a big well for me anyway, a bigger connection. Yeah. It's interesting though, because quite a lot of people are quite adverse to being on camera. I don't know if you've noticed this, but several of the people I spoke to when I was researching for my book said actually you know in our office people much prefer just these conference calls because it's easy and you don't have to get dressed up in quite the same way um you don't see yourself in that little picture i mean at the moment we're talking to each other over a video conference and i can see this little picture of me up there um you know and if we did this over the phone as i do my virtual summits you know i could still be in my pajamas and nobody would know Having said that, I could be in my pajamas underneath my top half, but I'm not today. But yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yes, yes. So there, there can be a reluctance to use video, but generally speaking, once you're over the hump, once people are used to it, you'll mm-hmm. find big benefits in terms of um, connection. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So building trust is really important as sort of a basis for managing relationships and teams mm. online. Um, what other things would you suggest a leader needs to pay attention to in order to you know, work effectively across cultures, for example? Across cultures, yes, absolutely. Um, I suppose, can I talk about languages first? Because there are... Mm-hmm some things that I talk about in my book one of them is time zones we sort of touched on briefly um and and languages and cultures are the things that make it even trickier I'm going to start with languages first because actually that's a little bit simpler um anyone who works works virtually or even works around the world will will realize that there's a sort of subset of English that is a sort of international business English if you've heard people who are not first language English speakers, but perhaps second, third, fourth, um, and you hear groups speaking with each other, you'll, you'll hear a fairly consistent set of um, English being spoken. And that subset of English is, is what people um, find easy to to speak to each other and easy to understand and those of us who have English as our first language if we can reduce the language that we use in virtual situations where we have multiple people with different languages um, and 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 several with English not as their first language if we can reduce our English away from the huge variety of vocabulary we have and the strange things that English does just to that subset, then people will find it much easier. Often, if we're trying to make things simpler, we tend to go to a more childish version of English. But actually that... (laughs) Or shout, yeah. Well, hopefully those people in this this summit will be, um, you know, wouldn't just be people who would shout louder. But yeah, if we're trying to make things easier, it's very easy to go to a slightly more childish version of English. 
which counterintuitively to English um, speakers who have English as their mother tongue, a more childish version of English is actually harder for international business <laughs> speakers of English to understand. There are all sorts of funny things like, you know, if I ask my husband to pick me up from the office, mm-hmm. you know, pick, pick yeah. up, you can think, well, come and pick up, <laughs> pick up, pick me up from the office. Um, whereas actually using slightly more formalized language <clears throat> can make it easier. Um, could you collect me from the office? Um, so some of the very simple, we might try and make things simpler, but in a way make it harder. Yeah. So try and, try and listen in to, to some not, non-mother tongue English speakers and think about the sort of language that they're using to each other. <clears throat> and it's up to those of us who have English as our first language to adapt. I agree. Because mm-hmm. I've asked many people about this and they say that Native English speakers often go very fast, often use strange metaphors that it takes time to understand as, at the same time as translating in people's heads mm-hmm. and also tend to use this simplified language, which is actually harder, whereas something a little bit more formal can often be easier to understand. Yeah. Okay. So more direct language, I suppose, perhaps. Are we yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I was once interviewing for one of my virtual summits, I was interviewing an expert on English and I called him a leading light <laughs> in the field of English. And, whoa, that was a gift to him because um, he said, Penny, you've introduced me as a leading light. But for anyone without English as their mother tongue, they're going to be wondering, leading light? What on (laughs) earth does that mean? Because the leading light is something that helps boats come into the harbour. You line up the lights and then you know where to go. But how is anybody going to follow that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually... If I'd introduced him as an expert in the field, it would have been much easier for everyone. It would have been much easier to understand. But yeah. anyway, so I, so I anyway I handed handed him a, a really good example immediately. <laughs> but hopefully, I've learned since then. That was several years ago. So language really, it's down to those of us who have English as our mother tongue to to make the effort. Mm-hmm. to find out how we can adapt our English to make it as inclusive as possible for those in our team. And if we do that, then others will follow. Okay. Yeah. Especially if we explain what we're doing and why. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, um, and I understand. And as a former English teacher. <laughs> ah. I, yes, I get it. Um, okay. So that's language. Now, if we're sitting in a room and we have in a virtual room, and in that room we have people from 10 different countries, I reckon we're going to have some interesting challenges from a cultural perspective. We are, we are. And one of the big, biggest that I found with virtual teams, especially nowadays, there are a lot of organisations that have um, Indian or Chinese um, nationals who are working with them I've also found this in the Middle East as well, um, and, and this is a whole thing around saving face, which is really built into many of these cultures, which is that if you were to ask a question, a stupid question, which is obviously stupid um, and would make, yeah, 
that there may just be one answer that people could possibly answer back, even if it's not the one you would consider the right answer. Mm. So we need to know about saving face and we need to adjust how we ask questions. So, for example, I can remember a guy in Switzerland saying to me, we have some Indian software developers who we're working with. And whenever we ask them if they can get something done, they always say yes. Right. If we ask them if they can get it done by Wednesday, they will say yes. And Wednesday will come and the work will not be delivered. Mm -hmm. why is this so you know why are they just being so useless and I said to him well have you come across saving face you're asking a question that only has one possible answer because they don't want you to look like an idiot for asking such a stupid question so they mm -hmm. will answer yes whereas actually in reality um, probably better to work with them and to find out you know when when can we get the different stages done by? Yes. And perhaps to ask things that might have difficult answers coming, ask them more individually rather than in a whole group setting. Mm -hmm. Because it's easier to talk about things that are difficult when you're not in front of lots of other people. <clears throat> so think carefully about things like um, how, how the whole face setting um, works and it, it's very much something that is cultural it's something that is built into people that they live with their whole lives so um, don't try and expect people adjust to become just like you you need to understand the individuals because obviously national stereotypes don't apply to everybody they can be a sort of quick check to help but don't rely on them but understand the individuals, understand where they're coming from, um, and perhaps have somebody, if there's somebody in the team you know better than the others, um, perhaps you could ask them to help you to understand and work with each person. And I suppose, somebody local yeah, yeah. that you know better than some others. Yeah. I suppose an idea that just popped into my head as you were saying that was perhaps in the way you set up the kind of the relationship and the way you work that you have a conversation around, okay, we're in you know, different cultures, different norm, cultural norms, and Absolutely. time and meeting times and honoring, honoring those, that's one that yeah. certainly I've come across as being a real issue, you know, particularly mm. having lived in Portugal where sometimes time is a bit fluid, um, you know, being British where when we say nine o'clock, we mean nine o'clock. Oh, we tend to mean five past nine with, with virtual meetings I found in Britain oh yes true. <laughs> then, nine, then, we, then it all goes wrong yes <laughs> yeah so I mean that's an example isn't it you know making yeah, yeah. Sure prepared and online yeah. time that we agreed to meet and so yes. yeah yeah so setting some but then again perhaps you can do things like involve involve a, a catch-up at the beginning and mm -hmm. sharing important information at the beginning so that it becomes more of a social occasion and then actually the work itself is done from after that. Yes, yeah. So you develop yeah. the connection at the beginning, the sort of, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we're coming to the end of our sort of half an hour conversation. Mm -hmm. It'd be lovely to finish, if you could, with a few life, I've read in my mind five tips, but I don't mind how many, <laughs> some key tips that you would suggest that people, you know, mm -hmm. think about at the forefront um, of their mind okay. thinking about working virtually uh, my my book has 10 tips and I really struggled to get it down to 10 so I'll 
I think probably some of them combined. So let's just run through those. Develop your own virtual leadership, which will make a big difference to the quality of the work that comes out of your virtual team. Um, it can be tricky, but develop how you are as a leader and it'll make a difference. That includes choosing to be more facilitative, more of a servant leader, giving a greater degree of independence and flexibility to people in your teams. Yeah. Um, so, <coughs> so avoid the command and control. Mm -hmm. Think about the outcomes, not what people are doing on the way in. To be able to work like this, you need to know where you're coming from. What are your own perspectives, your own preferences, your own culture, so that then you can understand others. So you need to start with yourself first. Mm -hmm. Trust is important. You need to nurture that and build it. Remember that everybody in your team, they're individuals. Get to know them, get to know their preferences and their perspectives. How do they prefer to communicate? What about language? What about culture? And feedback should go both ways. Technology is essential to be able to work virtually, but it's merely the plumbing. There's loads more to do. Um, yeah, we need to engage people, whether it's in meetings or in between. Yep. The other thing is that things do and will go wrong. Expect it. Keep an eye out for conflict because you don't see it in the same way that you do when you're working in person together. Mm. So just keep an eye out and, and listen and, and ask other people to as well. Yep. And wherever, whatever you can do, try and create a level playing field as far as possible. So rather than having a whole load of people in a room together and then one or two people on the phone, why not have everybody in a virtual meeting? Mm -hmm. So there you are. And okay. use, use video where you can, even if people are reluctant. <laughs> you know, encourage, encourage them to, to get, get involved and to have those human connections. So there you are. Yeah. Human connections is probably okay. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I love the link <laughs> to individuals and making sure you, you understand individuals. Because that one thought earlier on in the conversation I had about you, you said you know some people may not contribute they may be you know quiet for various reasons but one one reason and I know from personal experience because I'm more of a reflector than a out and out responder so when I'm in a meeting I will be sat thinking about what's going on usually engaged and reflecting which means that I don't immediately come back with you know input I'll come back towards the end. So I need to be given an opportunity later on. So it's about understanding the style that you know, different people work by and ensuring that you include and you're aware of that in your- in Absolutely. Your... Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for all of those tips. Um, there mm -hmm. A lot of them, as, as Penny has said, have come from the book, Virtual Leadership. So I know that um, I will be putting a link to that. Um, it's a great book. It's full of lots of ideas and lots of little anecdotes as well, which makes it really fun to read, I found. So thank you very thank much you. for your time today, Penny. It's been great um, speaking to you. How can people get hold of you or learn more about you other than you know, beyond the book? Yes, absolutely. So um, I'm on Twitter at Penny Pullen. That's P-U-L-L-A-N. 
Mm-hmm. I'm also on LinkedIn, Penny Pullen. Um, I think I'm pretty much the only Penny Pullen on the internet, at least in the UK. So if you just type Penny Pullen, P-U-L-L-A-N, into an internet browser, it'll pop, pop me up, I'm sure, and um, I'm very happy to connect with people. So thank you for listening today, and I hope you found that really useful. If you'd like to access the links and show notes for today's conversation, then go to thrivingabroad.com and look for episode four in the Thriving Abroad Together podcast series. You can also register to receive the regular newscap letter, which will contain show notes for each episode and other podcast news. I'll be back soon with the next instalment. If I can be of any support to you through your expat journey, then please email me, louise at louisewiles.com. Wherever this podcast finds you in the world, I wish you a great week 